Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you to a very special five-part podcast series on the Hughes, Hubbard, and Reed Fall 2019 FCPA and Anti-Bribery Alert, which was recently released. In this five-part podcast series, we take a look at five separate areas that are touched upon in the alert. They include an overview of the alert, the U.S. FCPA component, the French developments in anti-bribery, anti-corruption, enforcement, and compliance programs, multilateral development banks and their role in the fight against bribery and corruption. And we conclude with a review of anti-bribery enforcement in Brazil, along with Brazilian authorities' embracement of compliance. The alert is a significant piece of research But more importantly than simply listing cases, it gives you a deep dive into the analysis of both anti-bribery, anti-corruption enforcement, but also policy announcements by regulators and other uh, commentary from countries outside the United States about the state of compliance and where it's going going forward. In this part two, I'm joined by partner Laura Perkins to discuss the FCPA developments over the past year. This special series on the Hughes Hubbard Fall 2019 FCPA and anti-bribery alert has been a special production of the Clients Podcast Network. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox back for another episode in our five-part podcast series with Hughes Hubbard lawyers on their 2019 FCPA alert. Today I'm extraordinarily thrilled to have back Laura Perkins partner at Hughes Hubbard, and we're going to talk about one of our joint favorite topics, which is the FCPA. So, Laura, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, uh, thank you for coming back, and welcome back to the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be back. Laura, uh, each year I don't think things can really uh, evolve or change in the world of the FCPA, but I found this year to be as highly significant um, not only in the area of FCPA enforcement, but also in FCPA policy and communications. And I was wondering uh, where you sit as a partner at Hughes Hubbard, but also as a, as a former uh, DOJ, or what are your kind of general thoughts on the year in general? Uh, as you said, it was an interesting year. Uh, it always is in FCPA enforcement. Um, I think that from the DOJ perspective or the DOJ side of anti-corruption enforcement, we saw some pretty interesting things um, and developments, like you said, again, in the policy space um, and in messages that DOJ sent to uh, to practitioners and uh, both both through their policies. But I think even more significantly through the language in some of the enforcement actions, um, where I think a lot of the points that DOJ is trying to make to the market were communicated. Um, So I found that to be be interesting um, this year in particular. Uh, I also thought that it was interesting to see the evolution of the corporate enforcement policy. Um, there, you know, upon the issuance of the corporate enforcement policy, there was a lot of speculation about 
what how will the presumption play out? Um, what will this mean for companies? Um, what will DOJ do with the discretion it granted itself under the enforcement policy? And I think that this year was one where we we saw a lot of that. Uh, we saw a lot of movement on that front. So it was it was interesting to watch. So we had some really interesting enforcement actions, literally from uh, cases involving hundreds of million dollars in fines and penalty and disgorgement down to cases which were relatively small in terms of their overall fines and penalties. But as you suggest, Laura, and I thought some important language in the settlement documents uh, that were released, which really helps guide the compliance practitioner, what did you see as some of the uh, key enforcement actions from your perspective? So I think that one uh, one is Walmart, um, particularly in the compliance space. Um, I think it's significant for not only what the resolution talks about, um, but also just in that it has been such a highly uh, speculated about or anticipated resolution. And so I think just the mere fact that it was resolved uh, was significant. Um, I think also for Walmart, um, it was significant in uh, in the monitorship space. Um, it's the first monitorship in the FCPA space that was tailored, really, in the way that the Walmart uh, monitorship has been tailored. Um, so I think that those are some significant pieces from that resolution. I also think that the Fresenius resolution was very interesting, again, going to the point of seeing how the corporate enforcement policy will play out in instances where there would be a presumption, but DOJ uses its discretion to not uh, follow the presumption. And I think that's what we saw in Fresenius, where there was a voluntary disclosure. Um, there was cooperation, um, but and there was remediation, but they didn't receive a declination and instead received a non-prosecution agreement. Um, so I think that, you know, while there were definitely numerous other enforcement actions of interest, those are, are two that I found um, particularly noteworthy this year. Laura, I was wondering if I might ask you about cognizant technologies. Because in that case, uh, you, in your opening remarks, you talked about how the DOJ communicated not only uh, uh, solid compliance points for the compliance practitioner, but how they might think through a uh, enforcement action. And I think Cognizant Technologies uh, began as a head scratcher, but the more the DOJ communicated, the more it became clear the message uh, they were putting out. And that was where we had C-suite involvement in uh, the bribery scheme, yet the company um, was able to obtain a declination. And in the settlement documents, it talked about the board of directors uh, self-disclosed within two weeks of being notified of the uh, compliance or um, FCPA violation. Is that the type of communication you uh, indicated that the DOJ is putting out there in, in their enforcement actions? Yes, yes. I think um, both in Cognizant and as if you if you look at all DOJ resolutions, there is always a paragraph that lays out the relevant considerations that DOJ looked to when deciding on the form of the resolution and on any discount they give for a fine. Um, and and that is the place where practitioners should look 
for points as to, for tips essentially from DOJ as to what they think is significant. Um, and so in Cognizant, they did have a, a fairly long, uh, sort of, as I'll refer to it, relevant considerations paragraph where they were really speaking to practitioners and to the market to try to explain why it was that they took the action that they took and provide, in a sense, um, guidance to the market as to what steps they could take if they find themselves in such a situation to receive the sorts of benefits that Cognizant received. Uh, as you also noted, it was, a, I thought, a really significant year in terms of policy, policy changes, policy amendments, policy uh, modifications. I was wondering for you, what were some of the key policy announcements from the Department of Justice? So there were, as you note, a number of policy announcements, including sort of some revisions to the corporate enforcement policy, um, some memorializing of the monitor selection process and um, the compliance guidance that was issued. Given the fact that a lot of those documents and that guidance was previously provided, um, albeit kind of in a different form, um, I found the most significant thing about those announcements to be the fact that they were made under the new administration. Um, and in essence, was the new administration embracing the policy announcements of the previous administration. Um, and it was, I think, a clear message to, to the market, which really did question how will the new administration proceed with regard to these policies that we've came, that we have come to accept and operate under? Will they stay? Will they change? And I think the fact that the new administration essentially reissued the former policies in virtually identical format um, was, a, was a very clear message to the market that this is how the Department of Justice is going to proceed going forward, regardless of sort of who's in the White House and, and what party is in control, that this is the way FCPA enforcement is going to move forward. And I, I found that to be very um, impactful and important, sort of the, the, the embracing by both parties of these types of policies. Laura, you talked about how we can find, we being compliance practitioners, uh, corporate compliance uh, professionals and uh, white-collar defense lawyers can find tips in a lot of the settlement actions, or excuse me, settlement documents. But I was wondering uh, if there were other significant communications from the Department of Justice to compliance practitioners that you found over the past year. Well, I think the, the, the again, adoption and sort of conversion of the compliance questions into the compliance guidance um, although it was issued to prosecutors, um, that compliance guidance, I think, is very helpful to compliance practitioners and, and is a great place for practitioners in, in the compliance space to look to understand what is it that the department looks at um, when it evaluates compliance programs so that when compliance professionals are evaluating their own program or perhaps enhancements to it, um, you know, what steps is the department seeing in either failing programs or in state-of-the-art programs? So a very helpful, I think, guide to look to for compliance uh, practitioners. I think there are also, this year in particular, have been a number of statements by the department about 
um, sort of failures in investigating misconduct once it's found. Um, so in Walmart, for example, uh, the department noted the failings in sort of the internal investigation that that Walmart conducted and, and the adequacy of the staffing that was put toward that internal investigation in the early stages. So I think that if you if practitioners look closely at both the relevant considerations paragraphs as well as some of the more compliance-related discussions in the enforcement actions, they can find a lot of very helpful tips from the department. Laura, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I've been visiting today in this episode with Laura Perkins, and we've been talking about the uh, FCPA highlights over the past year that were in the Hughes and Hubbard 2019 FCPA alert. Laura, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode in our special five-part podcast series on the Hughes-Hubbard Fall 2019 FCPA and anti-bribery alert. I've linked to it in the show notes, and I would urge you to Check it out, download it, and read it at your leisure. There's lots packed into it. And of course, best of all is the price, which is it's free. A series has been a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.